Well, happy Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. It is so very wonderful to see each and every one of you today as we gather on what is the most important day in all of human history. You know, today we are joining over 2.6 billion people all around the world celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord and our Savior. And we are glad. Amen. Amen. It is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Well, I had some friends who took a trip to the Holy Land recently, and it reminded me of a story I heard a few years ago about a guy who went to the Holy Land, and he's traveling with his wife and with his mother-in-law. And uh, as they were touring Jerusalem, uh, his mother-in-law had a sudden heart attack, and she died. And so they went to the U.S. consulate trying to figure out what they were going to do. And they were told there, well, you have two options. You can, you can for $10,000, you can have your mother-in-law's body shipped back to America. Or for $200, you can have her buried right here in Jerusalem. This man thought about it and he said, well, I think I'll have her body shipped back to America. And the person at the consulate said, wow, $10,000 is a lot of money. You must have Loved your mother-in-law very much. And the guy said, well, no, that's not it. While we were touring Jerusalem, I heard about this guy who died here 2,000 years ago. And then three days later, (laughs) he rose again. I I cannot take that chance. (laughs) Just kidding, moms and mother-in-laws. We love you. We love you, okay? We love you. Well, I, I started off uh, this year's Easter's message with a joke because, you know, truthfully, there are a lot of people all around us who think that Easter is a joke. The idea that Jesus was God's son who died on the cross, and then he, on uh, Easter Sunday morning, he rose again from the dead. He came back to life. It has to be a joke, right? Well, if it is a joke, it's the worst joke ever told. But if it's true, it's the best story ever. We gather here today because we know it's true. We believe it's true. Jesus is alive, and Jesus has changed our lives, your life, my life. He's changed our lives forever, so Easter is not a joke, is it? See, we're talking about hope today, and the question is, where do we find hope? And the message of Easter is that we find hope in an empty tomb, and that hope is a hope that cannot die. Why? Well, on Easter Sunday, Jesus defeated death. He defeated death. And in his defeat of death, the hope of Easter, well, it changes everything. Have you thought about this? Because of Easter, our sins can be forgiven. That means we have hope today in spite of our past failures. Because of Easter, we can move on uh, through life's present pain. I don't have to be worn down and, and taken out. I can have hope today. Evil does not need to win in my life. Sin has no power over me. Because of Easter, I also have hope for the future because God has defeated death and death is our worst enemy and my eternity is secure. So I don't need to fear death anymore. I have a hope that cannot die. Today, we're gonna be looking at what the Bible tells us about that hope in Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one of the most important chapters in all the Bible. We're going to be looking at what Jesus' resurrection means to every person who 
believes in him. And this is a really long chapter. If you've read it before, maybe you know that. And we're gonna be looking at some selected verses uh, as we work our way kind of through the chapter, trying to connect uh, some of Paul's ideas together. I'm gonna give you two truths about Easter hope. And alongside those two truths, I'm gonna give you two questions uh, that apply to each one of us. So here's the first truth, and it's so important for us today. Easter hope is rooted in real history. In other words, Easter is true. It really happened. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul gives us this incredible news that Easter is true, that someone has entered into death, our greatest fear, and has defeated death forever. I wanna read to you and you read along these opening verses of the chapter where we see this truth laid out for us. In verse one, Paul writes, now brothers, I wanna remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. Paul is saying Easter is good news. That's the gospel. And this good news is news that saves us. And he he, he says we must hold firmly to it. Well, how do we do that? We do that by, by knowing that Easter is rooted in history, that it really happened. And that's what Paul talks about next. Verse three, he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. See, not only is it true, Paul says, it is the very core of what we believe and teach. Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried. Christ was raised again. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And Paul says, if it did not happen in real space and time in history, then everything else that we believe is false. He actually says that in verse 19. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than all men if we don't have the hope of resurrection. You see, Christianity is not primarily about a better way to live or it's not about how to have our our best lives now. Christianity is about unflinching hope in the face of death. Easter hope, and a lot of people get confused about this. This is not about good feelings because it's spring and it's green now. That's not what Easter is. Easter hope is built on the actual resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died an actual death on an actual cross and his actual body was buried in an actual grave and three actual days later, he actually walked out of that grave, left that actual tomb and he actually left that tomb empty and hundreds of people actually saw him physically, flesh and blood alive. It actually happened. Just imagine like you witnessed the death of a friend. You were there when they died and and then a few days later you attended their funeral and then after the funeral service you went to the cemetery and you watched their body buried in the ground but then like a week later you're downtown Tracy, you're having a cup of coffee at baristas and this friend walks up to you and sits down at your table and orders a cup of coffee. (laughs) 
That's what the resurrection was like. It really happened. You said, well, how, how do we, we know that it happened? And there, there, there are a number of past messages that I've done where we really went into a lot of depth on the reasons that we can have confidence in the reality of the resurrection. We're not gonna be doing that in, in complete depth today, but I do want to point out the evidences that Paul gives here in 1 Corinthians to support his claim. And there really are, are two broad categories of evidence. The first one is the scriptures. He, he says this was according to the scriptures. Do you know that the scholars estimate there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament where the coming of the Messiah is foretold? I mean, you should read this and study this if you've never done that before. Jesus coming to this earth was predicted in direct statements and in symbols and in foreshadowings on nearly every page of the Old Testament, giving details like about where he was gonna be born and what he was gonna be like and how he was gonna die, many, many other things. And it was kind of like you're hearing uh, uh, someone described by 30 different authors over 1,500 years. And then in the Gospels, he shows up and you look and you say, that's him, that's him. And so the scriptures told us ahead of time that he was gonna come like he did. And then second category, Paul points to a series of eyewitnesses. Paul mentions Peter, then the 12 apostles. Do you know that every one of Jesus' apostles is gonna go to their deaths proclaiming that they had seen Jesus with their own eyes alive? Sometimes people say, well, maybe they were lying. Lots of people over the centuries have died for a lie. Uh, think about the soldiers fighting for Russia right now. This is true. People sometimes do die for a lie. But here's the thing. People hardly ever die for a lie that they know is false unless they have something to gain from it. And in this case... <laughs> The apostles gained nothing. They gained no power, no, no privilege or prestige by claiming that Jesus was raised from the dead. Just look at their, their, their lives. All they, all they gained was persecution and pain and poverty. Nor was it just some commitment to Jesus' teachings that kept them going. Like, you know, they just believed in his teachings so much and they wanted to see his movement take hold. So they just made up his resurrection and they kept telling the lie until their deaths. You know, Peter himself is a pretty convincing example here. You remember how, how Peter, when he had walked with Jesus for three years, heard everything Jesus taught in the space of just a few hours, he denied Jesus three times to just save his own skin. And that same Peter, who caved in fear three times before the crucifixion, that same Peter is gonna go to his death years later, proclaiming Jesus is Lord, never once reneging, never once caving in, never once changing his story. What changed? Well, he saw Jesus resurrected Paul writes in verse six, if you look at it, that Jesus also appeared to more than 500 believers at the same time. And most of those believers, Paul says, when he wrote these words, they're still alive. You can go talk to them. You can check it out. And this is very important because some people dismiss the resurrection as like wishful thinking or, or like hallucination. 
You know, like when you really miss somebody and so you imagine you see them and, and you talk to them. And, and Paul would say to that what we, I think, know honestly in our hearts, 500 people don't hallucinate at the same time, have the same hallucination. That is absurd. And Paul says, you can go check it out. You can go ask these people and tell their stories. And, and then in verse seven, did you notice this? It says, then Jesus appeared to James. You know what's remarkable about this? James was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, we know historically that James is going to become, uh, in the years after Jesus' resurrection, he's going to become the, the leader of the Jerusalem church sometime in the 60s. He's going to be martyred by stoning for his belief in Jesus as the resurrected son of God. And it's very interesting that the Gospels tell us that James didn't start out believing that his half-brother Jesus was the Messiah, but there was something that happened and something that convinced James that his older brother was the son of God and worthy of worship. Now, here's a question. I'd like to, this is a hand-raised question. I'd like a response. How many of you have an older brother? You just raise your hand if you have an older brother. See, there's a whole lot of us here. Uh, here's what I wanna ask. What would, it, what would it take to convince you that your older brother was the son of God and worthy of worship. <laughs> You're like, son of Satan maybe, but <laughs> not son of God. <laughs> so what convinced James? <laughs> he saw the resurrected Jesus, his brother, right? And then finally, Paul says in verse eight, well, what about me? Paul says, I was the last person. Think about this. The last person who wanted Jesus to be alive. Paul had built his life and built his career on Jesus not being the son of God, but something happened that changed Paul's life totally and completely. You see, all of these evidences show you this is not a fairy tale. This is not a legend. This actually happened. And maybe you can come up with a different theory. But let's be honest, nothing is as convincing as the simple reality that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Maybe right now, you're thinking, what if I have doubts? Maybe right now, you know, um, you just showed up here because your mom kind of guilted you into it. You just didn't want to deal with mom guilt on Easter. Maybe right now you showed up because somebody invited you to brunch. The next thing you knew, you're walking through these doors and you thought you were going <laughs> to get something to eat. They said, oh, that's after. <laughs> that's after. So maybe you're here and you don't quite believe in all of this. So what if I have doubts, you're saying? What if I have doubts? Well, first of all, I want to say if you are here and you have doubts, we are so glad you're here. And I also want to say to you that many of us who are now convinced have been there, so you're not alone. And when we go to the Bible, it's so interesting. Even Jesus' followers had doubts, especially one of his apostles, this guy named Thomas. And you may remember the story how Jesus singled Thomas out when he visited his disciples after the resurrection. This is in John chapter 20, verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. There's this incredible painting by Caravaggio. It's called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. And I love this painting. I, I especially love the, 
look of surprise on, on Thomas's face as Jesus holds his hand and guides Thomas's hands into Jesus' wound. And Thomas had said, you know, unless I see, unless I see his wounds and I put my hands into him, I, I won't believe. And Jesus is like, well, go ahead, Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. This is what a lie feels like, Thomas. See, Jesus' glorified body is so interesting, still bore the wounds of crucifixion. And, you know, Jesus still bears those wounds in heaven. I don't know who, who said it, but someone once said that the only thing man-made in heaven are the wounds of Jesus. They're still there. And so whenever we see Jesus for eternity, we're gonna be reminded of his love and sacrifice laying down his life so that we could live forever. Do you know how Thomas responded? Look at verses 28 and 29. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, here's the truth. 2023, we live 2,000 years later. We're, we're never gonna get to see Jesus in the flesh this side of eternity, right? But we can believe. And according to Jesus, we, we can be blessed. You know, there are some of you, you have doubts and you're actually quite proud of being skeptical. You, you like to say you doubt everything, and I just wanna give a special challenge to you this morning if that's where you are. And, and the challenge is this, will you be willing to doubt your doubts? Would you be willing to doubt your doubts? Here's the, my other question that follows underneath that. Is your mind the only thing that you don't doubt? Is your mind the only thing that you won't question? See, what if you said, you know, if Jesus was raised from the dead, then maybe my questions and my objections and my doubts are not as significant as I, I think they are. Will you doubt your doubts? Will you be brave enough to ask God to open your mind and open your heart to see who he truly is, to see what Jesus has done in dying and in rising again from the dead? Again, God's people, I want us to know our Easter hope is rooted in something that really happened. It is true. It took place in a real time, in a real place, to real people. And because of that, Easter hope transforms our eternity. That's the second truth I want you to see. Because Easter happened, actually, Paul says, everything is different. Our past, our present reality, even our eternal future, everything is different. And, and Paul really talks about all of those things in 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to just look for a moment how Paul's past was transformed. Verse 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Again, be reminded, Paul hated the message of Jesus. Paul could not believe that Jesus was the one true God that had become a, a man. He, and I, he probably asked, if Jesus is the Messiah, why is Rome still in charge? Why is there still pain in this world, injustice in this world? But Paul, he met the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. And, and Paul said, you know, if Jesus raised from the dead, then my opinions about his message are irrelevant. If Jesus is alive, he is who he says he is, and he did what he said he did. Jesus is who he says he is. 
He really is. And again, there are some of you here and, and you're not gonna come to Jesus maybe because you have some unanswered questions and maybe, maybe your questions are similar to Paul's questions. Maybe you're asking the question, you know, if God is loved, then why is there still pain in this world? Some of you wanna know if God is real, then why did he not answer that prayer? You have questions. And those are valid questions Actually, it's an interesting thing. All the questions that people like us ask in our doubts are questions that the Bible writers also ask themselves. So here's the point. If Jesus is who he says he is, then there are answers to those questions you have, even if we don't know what those answers are now. If we know that Jesus was raised from the dead, that means there is an answer to my question, even if I cannot grasp that answer yet. I heard someone recently tell a story about how they were sharing who Jesus is with a Muslim friend. And this friend really could not accept the concept of the Trinity. They couldn't see how God uh, could exist. One God could exist as three persons. And so this person was trying to explain to them every way he knew how, but nothing made sense to them. And he ended up saying to them this, what if Jesus suddenly appeared to you and told you something that convinced you was truly him, like he told you about a secret from your childhood no one else ever knew about? And then what if he told you after he told you that, what if he said to you, there is an answer to your question about the Trinity, but you won't understand that answer now, but you can see that I am real, that I am who I say I am, and so I am gonna ask you to trust me with that unanswered question for now. He asked his friend, if Jesus did that, would you trust him? And the friend said, yes. He then said, so the question is not, can you explain the Trinity satisfactorily to me? The real question is, is Jesus who he says he is? He said the next morning, his friend called and said, I know that Jesus was raised from the dead. My heart has known that for a while. And I still don't know the answer to all my questions, but I am ready to follow him and I'm going to trust him with the answers. See, it's the same question for you today. If it is reasonable to believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, then it is reasonable to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And I know you have questions, and I, I know those questions are, are, are real, but if Jesus is alive, that means you can trust him with those questions and their answers. I love what Paul says in verses nine and 10. We've already read verse nine, verse 10. He goes on to say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And here's what you also need to know. If Jesus is who he says he is, it means we can be forgiven. We can be forgiven. You ever thought about the Apostle Paul in this regard? I mean, how, how does the, 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 a former murderer of Christians become like the greatest Christian ever? I mean, you would think that certain things would get you permanently banned from life in the kingdom of God, right? You know, like, I don't know, torturing and murdering, executing Christians, but Paul would say, because of the resurrection, I have been redeemed. 
See, the resurrection meant that whatever Jesus was doing on the cross had worked and the scriptures prophesied that the Messiah would come and Jesus would die for the sins of the world, that every sin ever committed would be put on him. This is one of the reasons why his death on the cross was so unspeakably awful. He was dying for murder and betrayal and dishonesty and selfishness and abuse. But because of all that, Paul knew he could be forgiven And Easter hope, listen to me, means you. You can be forgiven too. You might be saying, and people tell me this regularly, there's just no way, I don't see it. My my sin is too bad, or I've been sinning too long, or I've hurt people too deeply. I must be beyond his love now. And Paul would say, are you kidding me? I was a murderer. I was a persecutor. Paul would say, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. Paul would say, that was true for me, and it is still true for you too. You see, on the cross, Jesus became your sin, all of it. Jesus became your selfishness, your broken promises, your lying, your stealing, your adultery and your sexual immorality, your anger. He became all those things that you have hidden and lied about. God put all those things on him. When you think about your worst sin, what's the worst thing you ever did? God placed that on Jesus and he punished Jesus for it. The penalty for our sin, God says, is death. And Jesus, the perfect and innocent son of God, was killed for our sins. And then his dead body was laid in a grave. And then three days later, Jesus walked out. But your sin stayed there. He's alive. And your sin is still dead in that tomb. See, that is what Jesus offers to you if you'll receive it but you have to receive it. One of the Old Testament pictures of the coming Messiah was the yearly sacrifices that each Jewish family um, was required to participate in. Each year, uh, the father of every family would, would bring a lamb, a perfect unblemished lamb, and he would lay that lamb on the altar and then lay his hands on the head of that lamb and then he would begin to confess the sins of his family and as he did that the priest would slit the throat of the lamb and it was this picture of a lamb dying in the family's place for the sins that they had committed it was a picture of the coming messiah and this is what we do now with jesus he died on the cross but we have to place our hand of faith on his head and we have to say i receive you and what you did as mine And it's not just forgiveness that we receive. If you've been with us these last few weeks, we've been studying Romans. We learned that when we trust Christ, we receive Christ's righteousness and the power of Christ's resurrection, the power that brought Jesus' dead body out of the grave. That power actually comes into us. And in Christ, the murderer becomes the lover The racist becomes the humble servant. The cheating husband becomes the faithful father. The addict becomes the trusted friend. And Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am now. And that is because God made him who knew, had no sin to be sin and become my sin, that I might become the righteousness of God in him. And now I'm a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. That is true for you too when you trust Jesus. Amen? See, the resurrection addresses our past, and it addresses our present. 
It gives us power to live today, but what about the future? Have you thought what the Bible says about what happens when we die, when we, because we've trusted in Jesus' resurrection? I'm gonna go towards the end of, of this chapter, verses 15 and, uh, uh, chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, and this is what Paul says. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. By the way, um, this is actually the slogan for our nursery ministry, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed, Um, in case you were wondering. What's Paul saying here? What, What happens after you die? He says, well, it's a mystery which is this wonderful secret that God has now revealed. And the mystery is that we're gonna be changed. There's this transformation that's gonna happen. It's gonna happen in the blink of an eye. It's like a third of a second. And Paul says, and we're gonna be raised imperishable, never to die again, alive forever. Paul says it's gonna be a total transformation. You go back a few verses, he tells us in this chapter what that's like. Verses 35 and 36 But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish, Paul says. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And Paul here compares our our bodies to seeds. And you know, when spring comes, what do we do with seeds? Uh, Here's an example just to look at a couple of tulip bulbs. And you know, they're not much special to look at, right? Um, but once you bury them in the ground and once there is some time that takes place and you put some water on it, the light of the sun shines on it, then all of a sudden it's like, voila, you get this. You, you get something incredibly different than the dead little brown thing that you buried in the dirt. And Paul is saying, same thing is true about your body See, Jesus' resurrection says one day God will transform this body into something radically different. I will bring you to life, Paul says, and you will, you will burst with a radiance and a glory that you cannot even imagine right now, and that should give us hope, amen? And Paul, in this chapter, tells us several things about the transformation of our bodies. Look at verses 42 and 43. He says, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. Just write these things down so you can think about them later. Paul says first that your resurrection body will be eternal. You get to live forever. Paul says it's gonna be indestructible, no longer subject to disease, decay, death. Paul says our, 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 our bodies will be perfect, you know, so unlike our bodies right now that are broken and are breaking down. I mean, just take a look around you right now. Do you see any perfect bodies on your row there? If you think you do, remember you're in church, okay? And <laughs> But it doesn't matter, right, what we do. Some of you CrossFitters, it doesn't matter what you do at your box. (laughs) As your body gets older, you're just gonna get tired more quickly. You're gonna recover more slowly. I mean, all of our bodies are gonna eventually wear out. And we've talked about this before. Some of the more senior among us know 
what it is to suffer from furniture disease. You, you know what furniture disease is? It's, it's when your chest keeps sliding down into your drawers. <laughs> and aging just affects us all, right? Even in this room, there are people with creaky knees, bad backs, hair getting gray. And some of us, our hair isn't turning gray, it's just turning loose. Um, <laughs> You're getting smaller at the poles and larger around the equator. And it's just like, this is life. On this broken planet, our bodies break down. And we can try to slow it down and we can try to camouflage it, but you can't stop it. And Paul says, that's the bad news. He says, our bodies are gonna get buried in brokenness. But they will be raised. And did you see what he says? They will be raised in glory. Glory. Our bodies will be glorified like the resurrection body of Jesus. Now, you need to remember, as a follower of Christ, Jesus is our model. He's our template. He's like the prototype. He's the first fruits. And that means everything that, will happen to, that has happened to him will happen to you. He shows us through his resurrection life, what we can expect in eternity. And, and so what, what was this body like? Well, we don't have to guess. The Bible actually tells us. Here's a couple verses from Philippians. Paul writes this in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So when Jesus was raised to life on Easter, what was his newly alive, resurrected body like? We don't have to guess. The Bible actually tells us after Jesus was resurrected, he walked around on earth for around 40 days before he ascended to heaven, and we see what his body was like, and therefore we can see what our bodies will be like. And first of all, his body was real. It was flesh and bones, but better, Right? He walked through walls. Anybody looking forward to like just walking through the wall? Surprise. <laughs> Jesus kind of just appeared at times. We don't know what that exactly meant, but it was something different than before. He, he wasn't this ghost. He wasn't a disembodied spirit. This is telling us our resurrected bodies will be physical, flesh and bone. It also just tells us, summing it up, if you are in relationship with Jesus, your resurrection body will be as real as it is now, but just glorified. Your body will be enhanced to a degree you've never imagined before. Sometimes people ask me, Pastor Mike, is there gonna be food in heaven? When I pastored in Chicago, this was a, a, a very common question of Italian Christians. <laughs> and Pastor Chris Martinez tells me that Hispanic believers ask it all the time too. And again, as Christ followers, we don't have to guess. What did Jesus do in his glorified body? He ate real food. We, we see it. Look, look it up in Luke 24. In heaven, we're going to be glorified and have physical bodies. We're going to eat physical food. Praise God, right? But here's the difference. No carbs to count. No calories. No diets. Amen? amen. I mean, think about it. That's the biggest amen I got all day. <laughs> I mean, in heaven, 
we're not gonna have any of the physical limitations that plague us here on earth. No food allergies, no acid reflux, no lactose intolerance. You will not have to eat any gluten-free, fat-free, sugar-free, flavor-free food ever again. You will feast at the banquet table of God. And you know, Easter, Easter may be a tough time for some of us, maybe because we have lost someone we loved. And maybe Easter reminds us of some things we'd rather forget, but maybe today Easter can be the day that God changes our hope forever. In verses 43 and 44, Paul says this about our resurrection bodies. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a, a spiritual body. See, Easter hope tells us it doesn't matter what our lives are like on this earth. Someone who dies of cancer may die in weakness, a shadow of their former self. But if they know Christ, the moment they close their eyes in death, they open their eyes in heaven, alive with power, more alive than ever before. And that happens to all of us who are in Christ and have this hope. See, weakness will be defeated. Even death will be defeated. Paul writes these familiar words, verses 54 and 55. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And you know, the sting of death is its permanence, right? See, when you bury someone, you feel like you'll never see that person ever again, and like their life is over and it's gone forever, but Christ has taken that sting away on the cross Jesus took the curse into himself so that now when we lose a loved one to death, it is not permanent. It is just a transition and I don't have to be afraid of it anymore. Amen. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a Presbyterian pastor a couple generations ago and his wife died when his children were young and he was driving them from the funeral service to the graveside and his oldest child was 12 and and she was a girl. She was sitting in the front seat, and she was very quiet. In his funeral message, the pastor had referenced Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And this little girl, she said, Daddy, what does it mean that mommy has gone into the shadow of death? And he was thinking about how do I answer this question when this big truck passed by them going the other way and the, tr the truck cast this, this big shadow over their car. And he asked her, he said, do you, you see that truck, honey? What would you rather be hit by, the truck or its shadow? And she said, well, by the shadow, of course. And he said, the truck of death hit Jesus, but only the shadow, only the shadow hit your mommy. See, Jesus defeated death for us so that we do not have to be defeated by it. And death is still an enemy and we still hate death, but we no longer need to fear it. Death has no ultimate power over us. And so, you know, when someone dies, we often say things like, I, I lost them. But in a surer sense, we haven't lost them. We've only lost contact with them for a little while. And so that's why we don't have to say things. I'll never see my mom again. I'll never see my wife or my husband again. I'll never hug my grandma or hold my baby again. 
because of Easter, we can know that we will see them again and we will hold them again and hug them again with our physical arms in the new creation. So I want to ask you, where is your ultimate hope? Where is your ultimate hope? Easter gives us the hope that cannot die. Is your hope the hope of Easter? What are you trusting in? What are you holding on to? Just think about that. Is your hope truly in Jesus or is it in something else in this world? You know, today is Easter Sunday and today you have an opportunity to answer that question if you've never done that before. Uh, most of you who've been here for a while know that um, before I came to Southwinds 20 years ago, I, I served a church uh, in the Chicago uh, area. I was there for 13 years. And this week, I, I got an email from a woman named Sandy, who was one of the very first people that our church reached when, when I became the pastor there in 1989. And she reminded me of something that happened on Easter, 1993, 30 years ago. See, after Sandy had joined the church, became part of us, her two children, elementary school age, they, uh, they professed faith and got baptized in the next year or so. But her husband, Larry, though he, he came to church, he just wouldn't respond. He wasn't really interested. And I shared the gospel with him several times, and so did other people in the church, but he just wouldn't respond. And, and Sandy had the whole church praying for Larry. We, we found out in the late winter of 1993 that, that Larry and Sandy were gonna be moving to another state. And, and so I made another visit to talk to Larry, and I asked him if he wanted to trust Christ. And again, he said he wasn't interested. He said no. Their last Sunday with us before they left was gonna be Easter Sunday. And Larry came with his family and we together celebrated the resurrection. And, and then at the end of the service, while the whole church watched in amazement, Larry walked towards the front and came to me and told me as the pastor, I wanna trust Jesus. It was his moment. It was his day. He turned from his sin he repented and he believed in Jesus and received God's salvation. We filled that baptistry up as quickly as we could and it was really cold, I still remember that. <laughs> and we baptized Larry that afternoon and they got, they got in their truck and they, they actually drove away. Here's the deal today, Southwinds, and every one of you who's a guest with us. It is Easter Sunday, 2023, and for some of you, this is your moment. It is your moment. There is a blood-stained cross. There is a rolled-away stone. There is an empty tomb, and there is a risen Savior. And God has done all of this, and in Jesus, God reaches out in love to you, and today that means you, you can go from being spiritually dead to being fully alive in Christ forever. You can repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus, in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave that he, he did for you and he will forgive you and he will give you eternal life. You are gonna be alive forever. It is the power of God. It is the hope that cannot die. And if you believe that today, that can be yours. That can be yours. Even if you have doubts, maybe like Thomas did, 
you can still believe and you can still say, my Lord and my God. Will you do that today? If you have never trusted Christ before, will you trust him today? And if you are here this morning and you've trusted Christ, but you've been struggling with something in your life, will you hear today, receive today, and believe today that the power of Easter is for us, each and every one of us in Christ today? We do not have to fear death. We have power over whatever life throws at us because of Jesus, because Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This is the word of the Lord for us today, Southwinds. Will all God's people together say? Amen. 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 Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father God, I just thank you for every person who's come uh, to be here with us today. Lord, for whatever reason they come, Lord, you have brought them here. And whether they understand why you brought them here or not, you know the reason. And Lord, we pray that you would work in the way only you can. Lord, we ask that even now you would uh, grant repentance and faith, that you would open uh, dead eyes and dead hearts and dead minds. You would make them alive so that we can all see the beauty and the glory and the love of Jesus. Lord, may people come to know you today. May they believe in you today. And they receive your glory and your goodness today. We thank you for Easter, for our hope that cannot die. We thank you for Jesus, Father, our Savior and our Lord. And all God's people together say,